And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome to The Real Investment Show. It is, of course, the second best day of the week as we get ready to wrap it up and head into the last week of March. Yep, April Fool's next Friday. So... We're going to see how this all goes. A uh, couple of things to be thinking about here, of course. Uh, market's been rallying here over the last few days, and that's been a, a kind of a nice relief after it, you know so much kind of pressure on markets over the first couple of months. Uh, this rally's been a very nice relief rally. And what's interesting is that if you take a look at a lot of the kind of the more speculative areas of the markets, the, the meme stocks like AMC, GameStop, Bitcoin, the cryptocurrencies, those have all been under a lot of pressure along with the markets earlier this year. In fact, those stocks have, are, are down markedly from their peaks. And of course, this is those kind of speculative areas of the markets where a lot of gambling really was, was taking place. And it's interesting here over these last few days, there's been very sharp rallies in Bitcoin, GameStop, AMC, etc. And again, just goes to show that the speculative appetite of the market has not been extinguished by any stretch of the imagination. So despite the fact we've had this big correction, um, the, the bullish appetite for stocks is still there. And this is really, again, this is despite the fact that we have the Fed hiking interest rates. This is despite the fact that we've got slower earnings estimates that are out there as well. And that's lifting up forward valuations. So again, despite the fact we've had this big correction and, and there's been angst over the, the war in the Ukraine, um, you know, the, the, what's going on here politically in the United States, etc. All those kind of pressures and concerns really got alleviated very quickly over just a very small rally, just a reflexive rally in the markets. And this kind of reflexive rally, of course, is what we had been talking about really ever since the beginning of the month. We were talking as we came into March and we had a very difficult January, a very difficult February. We said when you have two negative down months in a row, you typically have a reflexive rally in the markets. And this is just because you get a lot of the selling, it gets exhausted, right? And all the sellers have sold and the buyers don't want to buy. And the markets just get to a point to where you're going to get a reflexive rally. It doesn't take a lot of buying to lift prices. And that's what we've seen here. And, you know, sentiment got extremely negative. If you took a look at the number of investors that were bullish versus bearish, the bears were grossly outweighing the bulls. That type of environment where you have very negative sentiment is actually bullish. It's a contrarian indicator. And in fact, you've got so many people, <laughs> you know, it's kind of the fact you've got so many people on one side of the boat that it doesn't take a lot to move the boat in the other direction. Also, equity positioning had gotten extremely light. Um, been a lot of selling in portfolios, so uh, fund managers were holding a lot of cash. That had to get put back to work. And that brings up an important point as we head into next week. Next week is the end of the quarter, which means that all these mutual fund managers, pension funds, hedge funds, all that, they have to rebalance their portfolios for the end of the quarter reporting. So there's a real potential here that some of this buying here has been part of that rebalancing process heading into the end of the quarter. But there's a real probability here because positioning remains very light 
that you're going to get a continued kind of push in buying here over the next week as we wrap up the quarter. Now, once we get into the next quarter, that's a different story, but there is certainly a, 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 a potential here for more lift in markets. Now, that's kind of the fundamental side, just the, you know, talking about where we are position-wise and the potential for buying because of the end of the quarter rebalancing. But having said that, yesterday the markets did rally and uh, sorry um, on monday markets rallied and we got back above the 200 day uh, moving average yesterday we did slip slightly below that moving average now again right below that 200 day is the 50 day moving average so there's a lot of support right here and again we've had a, a rally you know a five day rally right in a row so a day of a pullback not surprising uh, this morning futures are pointing up we're going to look like we're going to try to rally back above that 200-day moving average today. And again, we talked about that yesterday that very likely we're going to kind of get a little bit of sloppy trading here as we've gotten this big rally and we've gotten back above important resistance levels. But, you know, right now we are on a short-term sell signal as well. So again, it's suggesting here we have some sloppy trading over the next, you know, couple of days, today, tomorrow, uh, wrap up the week. As long as markets really don't fall back below the 50-day moving average, as long as they kind of hang in here for the next couple of days, that sets the markets up for a rally potentially a bit higher next week, again, as we kind of get into that quarter and rebalancing. Now, beyond that, I really have no idea. Once, once we get into the next quarter, all bets are off. Right now, uh, Mary Daly and a lot of the other Fed members, and in fact, expectations... Um, by the Fed fund futures market is suggesting the Fed will hike rates by 50 basis points at the May meeting, right? So a stronger rate hike um, as we get to the next meeting. Now that will move the Fed funds rate to 75 basis points. So three quarters of 1%. And of course the Fed is expected to hike rates six to seven times this year. So Again, with the number of meetings that are left, that suggests also that we'll have a second meeting somewhere down the road with another 50 basis point hike if they're going to, to comply with their schedule. Now, there's a lot of reasons to suspect they won't be able to. First of all, can the economy withstand higher interest rates? More importantly, the Fed is talking about starting to reduce their balance sheet purchases over the course of the next year, right? Starting potentially in May they'll announce a schedule to start actually reducing the size of their balance sheet by up to about a trillion dollars overall. So again, can the markets, can the economy withstand less monetary accommodation? Historically speaking, really since uh, 2009, the answer has been no. Every time the Fed has contracted their monetary policy, 2009, uh, sorry, 2010, 2012, uh, 2014, 15, 16, when, uh, 2018, whenever the Fed has been either reducing monetary accommodation or have been constricting or tightening monetary policy, the markets have not responded well, the economy has slowed, and we've headed towards a recessionary break, and the Fed's had to back that up, start lowering interest rates, start monetary accommodation again. So will this time be different? Probably not. <laughs> so, uh, but you know that's kind of history kind of playing out. But there's a lot of expectations, as always, that this time will be different. And you know what happened before won't happen this time because of a, of a reason that's one thing or another. And that's kind of you know to the yield curve. I've got an article coming out next week talking about the yield curve because already 
as we get you know yield curves approaching zero and potentially inverting here there's already articles out saying well this time is different because the fed is manipulating the the yield curve well that was the same case in 2019. in september of 2019 we had a yield curve inversion and the excuse was hey you know the fed's inverting the yield curve on their own this has nothing to do with the economy the economy is very strong and then in March of 2020, you have a recession. So, you know, can the bond market predict a pandemic? No, but what the bond market can predict is saying that there are certain pressures in the economy that set the economy up for trouble if an exogenous event comes along that impacts economic growth or consumption. That was the pandemic. So all, you know, so the question becomes if the economy is really strong, and if the economy was really, really growing at the rate that we thought it was, and it was, and it was sufficiently funded, would, a, would the pandemic have created such a deep recession? See, that's the real question. We don't know the answer to that, we never will. But the point is, is that the bond market always knows what's going on. And what the bond market's telling you is that the economy is a whole lot weaker than it looks at the surface. Be right back after the break. We'll pick up with Michael Leibowitz, talk more about the Fed hiking rates at the next meeting. What does that mean for the economy and the markets? Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. There's a war being waged on your retirement dollars. And unless you act now, you'll lose the battle with inflation, higher taxes, and a lower standard of living. You can blunt the effects of rising prices with our next workshop on combating inflation in retirement. April 2nd at the Embassy Suites Houston. Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff will help you fortify your life savings, make the most of Social Security, and lower your taxes. Register now for this free workshop at realinvestmentadvice.com combating inflation and retirement with ratliff and rosso realinvestmentadvice.com the real investment show And welcome back to the show. Of course, it is uh, Thursday as we get ready to wrap up the week. <sighs> Thank goodness. It's just been a week already. A <laughs> um, couple of things to get into. Of course, today the Fed is talking about hiking rates. And uh, Mary Daly out uh, actually this morning on Bloomberg suggesting that the Fed needs to hike rates by 50 basis points to you know kind of combat inflation. Then, of course, at the same time, we've got... Congress talking about needing to send direct checks to households in order to combat inflation. And, and this is really two very kind of interesting points because they actually are a function of each other. But, um, you know, let's start with the, just kind of talking about where we are again. You know, the Fed is in a, in a process here of needing to combat inflation. And Mike's, Michael Leibowitz and I have had this discussion. You know, there is a problem for the Fed that's coming up fairly quickly, which is the choice between combating inflation and supporting financial stability. So far, markets have been holding in there pretty well, um, at least on the surface. Now, underneath the surface of the market, there's been really a devastating bear market going on. A lot of stocks are down 40 50% meta, right? Facebook, as an example, one of the big major social media companies and one of the major parts of the S&P 500 is down almost 50%. So 
you know, there's been a lot of devastation below the surface. But if you take a look at the market itself, yeah, it's, you know, it's down five, six percent for the year. So really kind of no big deal. Again, that's if you look at the surface. If you happen to own shares of companies, particularly in the small cap index, mid cap index, that story is markedly different. And again, it, it always comes down to where you're investing and, and how you're investing. But the Fed is, is again, they're trapped in this point of ne about needing to hike, in, uh, hike interest rates to combat inflation. Inflation, of course, running very strongly here. Fed Mary Daly out this morning talking about needing to hike by 50 basis points. And the question really becomes, at what point does the Fed run too far, right? And, the, and this has always been the case. You know, the Fed hikes rates historically to slow inflation by increasing borrowing costs, increasing transaction costs within the economy. That slows down consumption. But at the same time that the Fed is now hiking rates, you've got interest rates on the 10-year Treasury has moved up sharply. That's creating monetary drag in the economy. You've got higher prices, which are impacting consumers, that inflationary cost. That's creating monetary drag in the economy. So you have a lot of, of policy tightening or monetary tightening within the economy even before the Fed starts hiking interest rates. So the question is always the case is how far does the how far can the Fed hike rates before they break something? Mike, welcome to the show this morning. Thank you for having me. Sure. And uh, before we answer that question, you brought up something a little bit earlier that I'd like to actually uh, go back on. You said that the government, and I know the state of California is doing this too, is thinking about writing checks to people to help with the higher price of gas and, infl and inflation in the case of uh, California. And Canada is doing is proposing, I'm not sure if they've done mm -hmm. it, but they're proposing the same thing as well. What this, what this clearly shows is that A, they don't care about inflation, or B, they don't understand inflation. So when the Fed does QE, they're not really printing money. I know we like to call it printing money. Other people call it printing money. They're not really printing money. They're simply putting reserves into the system. With reserves, the banks can lend money. When mo all money is lent into existence. Right. So right. Real, quick, real quick, let me stop you there because this is, this is an important point because – I get a lot of emails and you know a lot of, of comments from people, and, and they all point to the Fed. And they say, well, the Fed is going to keep printing money, and that's going to keep causing inflation. But this is a really important point that, that we can't gloss over because what the Fed does is an asset swap. They don't print money. They simply swap, as you pointed out, right? They are uh, A bank has a a billion dollars worth of U.S. treasuries on their books. Actually, let me back this up one more. Let's start at the beginning of how the cycle actually works. And I think this will help people understand more about how QE functions versus what we're going to talk about in a second, which is the government actually printing money. So when the Treasury or when the government wants to spend money they don't have, they need to issue bonds. And in order to issue the bonds, the Treasury Department has to issue those bonds. Well, in order to, to, to get cash from the bond issuance, they have to sell those bonds to someone. They, sell the, they don't sell those bonds to just anybody, right? They just, there is a group of 20 what we call primary dealers. These are your major banks. This is J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, all those guys. There's some foreign banks in there as well. So they all show up to what we call an auction. And 
every month we have these bond auctions. And this is where the, the, the Treasury Department goes to market and says, okay, I need to raise a billion dollars worth of capital to pay for spending that the, the government doesn't have revenue for. This is called the deficit. And so we're going to sell these bonds. And so these 20 primary dealers, they all stand up in a room and they, not technically, it's all electronic now, but theoretically they all stand up in a room and there's a, there's a, uh, there's a shot caller at the top and he says, okay, he's going to give me, you know, a hundred cents on the dollar, 101 cents on the dollar, whatever it is. And the, that is how the yield on these are ultimately set. And we, and this is where we know kind of what, and we look at the market and say the yield on, you know, the treasury today is 2.3% or whatever it is. And that's just the price versus the issuance. So now the banks have all these bonds. So now the banks have bought the bonds from the government. So now the government has the billion dollars and the banks have the bonds. Now used to be back in the day, <laughs> these new issues would have to sit on the books for a couple of weeks and they would call aging the bonds, right? And then they would ultimately get sold off to Mike, right? Mike has a brokerage account at Merrill Lynch. He wants to buy a treasury uh, for his account and he would talk to his brokerage firm and the brokerage firm would say, yeah, I'll get you that bond. And they'd buy the bond from JP Morgan and they would put it to your account. The treasury would then make interest payments to Michael Leibowitz. So Michael Leibowitz would get an interest payment from the treasury every quarter for his treasury bond. Work fine and dandy. Then the Fed came up with this great idea in 2008, and they said, we're going to do quantitative easing. Now, how does this work? The difference is, is that now the Fed is the customer of the banks. So now this is to Mike's point, right? This is where we get into the asset swap, and this is why this is important that this does not create inflation. Instead of Michael Leibowitz buying the bonds from J.P. Morgan, the Fed has these open market purchases and they go to JP Morgan and say that billion dollars in treasuries you just bought from the treasury department, I'm going to buy that from you. And they credit the bank's reserve account, which as Mike stated a second ago, the bank then lends that money out, supposedly lends that money out. We'll talk about how that doesn't happen either. <laughs> we'll get there, Mike. But the Fed now buys the bond from JP Morgan. So They've now got the bond. They credit J.P. Morgan's reserve account with cash. That's the asset swap. There's no money printed. They just digitally, they just did, digitally credit J.P. Morgan's reserve account with the Fed with a billion dollars. Fed has the, Fed has the bond. J.P. Morgan has the credit. Now, here's the really interesting part of all this. The interest payment from the Treasury Department gets paid to the Fed. That is now revenue to the Fed and expense to the government. At the end of the year, the Fed then remits those interest payments back to the Treasury, which is now income or revenue for the Treasury on the same dollars that the Treasury paid out. So it's nice accounting magic if you can get it done. Uh, so, Mike, having explained this, now back to you and, and to your point, you know, this is the important thing. We are just swapping assets, we're not actually printing money. And that's why we haven't had inflation from QE over the last 12 years. Correct. And money printing doesn't really occur until someone borrows money. And in this case, what we're talking about is the government borrowing money. Issuing debt is borrowing money. Mm -hmm. So they're completing the cycle. The Fed is setting the table 
for people to borrow. They're they're making it much easier for banks to lend money. But unless people want to borrow, you're not going to get more money, right. hence more inflation. So you you now have the government that needs to borrow so they can send everyone a check. Those people will spend the money. That is new money, fresh money. That is why we have inflation currently. That's one of the reasons we have inflation currently, because we were writing checks to people in 20 and 21 that was being spent. That was mm-hmm. literally money coming off a printing press in this indirect printing press. Right. We got inflation. There are supply line problems, too. It, it's a it's a multitude of problems. Well, it's, it's, a, it's supply demand imbalance. Right. I mean, the reason you have inflation is that you gave people money that they didn't have before. And you shut down the economy, so we didn't have supply that we did have before. So you now have a a surge in demand. Everybody's running out to Home Depot to buy new lawnmowers to mow their yard because they're stuck at home, and there's nobody to produce the lawnmowers. So all of a sudden, supply is is I mean, uh, supply is a lot less than demand. So the the guy supplying the lawnmower says, "Guess what? You're going to pay more for it, and you have inflation, and that's going to occur every time that we do this." Correct. But and even if there were zero su- supply problems, there was no pandemic and they just wrote the checks, there would be some inflation. It right. wouldn't be like what we're seeing today, but there would be some inflation because they are increasing the money supply. They are increasing, you know, in theory, the velocity of money to some degree, and they would have created inflation. Yep. All right. Quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk about the um, <laughs> misguided approach, of course, to combating inflation by, well, printing more money. We'll talk about that when we come back from the break. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com there's a war being waged on your retirement dollar and unless you act now you'll lose the battle with inflation higher taxes and a lower standard of living you can blunt the effects of rising prices with our next workshop on combating inflation in retirement april 2nd at the embassy suites houston richard rosso and danny ratliff will help you fortify your life saving make the most of social security and lower your taxes Register now for this free workshop at realinvestmentadvice.com. Combating inflation in retirement with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. I made my wife mad at me last night, by the way. What did you do now? <laughs> well, you know, she works very hard. She's very successful at what she does. In fact, she's one of the first people in the country to start figuring out how to bunker LNG at major ports. Yeah. So she's cutting edge on what she's doing. And anyway, she was home last night and she was complaining a little bit about, you know, kind of, you know, how she's treated in the office as kind of just one of the guys. Right. 
And uh, I said, you know, I said, you know, it, it's all fine and dandy, right? It, you know, back in the day when we lived in caves, you know, it was like, look, y'all go out and, and, and risk your lives to go bring home some meat. Go kill a dinosaur, right? You know, life and limb under threat. We'll stay over here and just pick some berries, right? Y'all go hunt the buffalo. Bring home the meat, right? Mm, yeah. As soon as they get air conditioning in office buildings, we want equal rights. <laughs> Find that perfectly. <laughs> yeah, she didn't like that comment, by the way. <laughs> How was the couch last night? Yeah, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. But, you know, <laughs> anyway, back to work. That's uh, all. Look, it's always something in my household, right? I got I got I got two. I'm outnumbered three to one. We should start a new <laughs> channel called Life with the Roberts. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Kardashians ain't got nothing on my family. Trust me. <laughs> Well, actually, they do. They have, yeah, yeah that guy. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They got a lot on you, Lance. Yeah, probably true. <laughs> anyway, uh, so uh, just for the break, um, you know, we're, we're talking a little bit about the Fed here, and the Fed is in, in kind of a tough spot. They need to hike interest rates to combat inflation. But at the same time, you know, we kind of have the idiocy parade coming out of government. And, you know, this is one of the big problems that occurred in 2020 and really this has started back in 2009 as well instead of allowing recessions to happen which are necessary recessions are not a bad thing we've we've created them to be these monsters under the bed that we don't want to have happen and we want to try to avoid a recession at all costs because it's terrible right recessions put people out of work they put stresses on family recessions are bad but they're not Right. They're really not bad. You know, there was a, a study about California wildfires. And one of the reasons that California wildfires continue to get worse and worse and worse is because they're not doing the proper maintenance of the forest, cleaning out the, 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 the dead brush, you know, uh, main, maintaining uh, the, the, the forest, creating controlled fires to to reduce the the underlying risk. And because of that lack of maintenance and those lack of that lack of care, you continue to have worse and worse wildfires when they occur. And it's the same thing with what a recession does. A recession is a bad thing. A wildfire is a bad thing, right? Destroys a lot of stuff. But it's actually healthy for the forest once these occur, right? It allows for new growth, etc. Same thing for a recession. Recession is a horrible thing when it occurs, but it creates better growth. It reduces excess debt. It re reduces excess valuations. It reduces excess in the, in the economy, period, which then allows for a healthier growth cycle to occur. But beginning in 2009, the Federal Reserve decided, hey, we don't want to have recessions anymore. So we're going to start doing all these monetary interventions. And, and ever since then, we keep running up more and more debt. We've gone from $9 trillion in debt to $30 trillion in debt in just the last decade. Um, and now every time that there's a problem, the Fed immediately comes in to try to start bailing out the markets. And we just create these bigger and bigger deviations and valuations and keep destroying free market capitalism the way it's supposed to work. And then in March of 2020, we endeavored into what's called modern monetary theory, which is starting to send checks directly to households. And this got Congress a lot of kudos, right? It's like, hey, you sent me free money. I love you guys. I'll vote for you every time if you keep sending me more money. And we endeavored into this. Now it's created inflation. But our, our 
lovely politicians, they don't understand that it was the sending of money to households that created excess demand for current supply and markets that lifted prices that creates inflation. As Milton Friedman once says, you know, the only person or the only entity that can create inflation is government. They're the only ones with the printing press. Inflation is always and everywhere a, a monetary phenomenon. Pensions don't create it. Employees don't create it. Corporations don't create inflation. Me and you don't create inflation. Only the government can create inflation by sending us more money. And now, because we have inflation, what does the government want to do? And this is, <laughs> and this is in an article. I can't make this stuff up. You really can't make this <laughs> yeah. up. Yeah. Representatives Mike Thompson of California, John Lawson of Connecticut, and Lauren Underwood of Illinois are proposing the idea of an energy rebate equating to $100 a month for individuals or $200 for couples with an additional $100 per dependent. Now, my daughter would love this, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> she was just complaining about filling up her car. <laughs> but if... But if was, I, she, was she complaining about that while she's standing in line waiting on a $6 cup of coffee? No, she complains about that. <laughs> and we had the gym that she goes to yeah. is literally, it is literally, ladies and gentlemen, walk out my front door, go to the front gate, take a right. It's 300 yards down the street to the gym. She drives. <laughs> drives to the gym. So I'm letting her learn her lesson about being <laughs> yes. frugal. Learn to use your feet. Flintstone. Uh, anyway, <laughs> like the economics, but, but here's the point, right? So because sending money to people was so favorable back in 2020, now the government is, is addicted to doing this. So now every time in the future when we have an economic downturn, expect a check, right? This is, this is going to be the new, the new policy for bailouts. It'll be cut rates to zero, do QE, send checks to households. These were payments, that, and uh, they want these payments to stay in place. For each month, the national gas price exceeds $4 a gallon through 2022. So, again, you want, if, if I'm going to send you money, what do you think retail suppliers of gasoline are going to do? Hmm, Brent and Mike have more money. I'm going to raise the price of gasoline. <laughs> Inflation, that's how it occurs. Mike, go ahead. Yeah, you really can't make this up, Lance. They, they want to... They want to write checks to get votes in the process will create inflation. But there's another aspect to this. We're, you know, in theory, we're trying to get off carbon energy. We're trying to become more green to save the environment. Right. Well, how do you do that? You let the price of gasoline rise and rise. So you incentivize other sources of energy. Well, now what they're saying is, well, here's more money. Go spend more money on gas. Let's <laughs> let's 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 allow the price to rise there's only right there's only two ways the price of gas is going to fall supply will increase mm -hmm. or demand will decrease and what they're saying is well we're just going to keep boosting demand for gasoline right. we're going to subsidize everyone to pay high prices for gasoline and in the quest for votes they don't even understand that they are creating inflation and inflation is what's killing their voters <laughs> it, it's it, it's really bizarre world right but but again, it's it's it, you know this is the problem with the people that we elect into Washington. We don't elect people that understand economics. We don't under, we don't elect people that understand financial markets. We put people in charge of financial markets that have no idea about what financial markets are and how they function. 
right? Well, and the scary part is the scary part is the people that do understand economics, the economic advisors, the Federal Reserve, they cheer them on. They're they're, they're supporting them. Mm-hmm. The Fed has been abetting Treasury issuance for since the financial crisis. Right. The Fed was abetting checks. The Fed will still do it. Now they have an inflation problem, so the Fed's a little bit got a little bit of a problem. They can't support them as they can't have three three cars waiting outside the bank after they <laughs> rob it. Now they can only have one car. But make no mistake, the Fed will do what they can to support this. And just because the Fed is not doing QE doesn't mean that the money they that the QE they did from six months ago isn't still can't still create money via loans. Right. So there's a lot of just like your forest fires, there's a lot of tinder on the ground for a lot more inflation if the US Treasury the government decides to spark it. Yeah, and and, this, and again, we kind of keep going back to the same problem. Now, and, and the other side of this is that, you know, individuals are already facing a problem of having a cash shortfall. Uh, all the money that they did get from the government, they've now spent. Inflation has gone up, which is now a tax on the wages that they're earning. And in fact, wages aren't keeping up with the rate of inflation. And now the Fed wants to make things more expensive by hiking interest rates and the reason they hike interest rates is to stop people from spending money and and and, and again kind of to your your idea of bizarro world is like we want to help people let's give people more money but then let's also make everything more expensive even in the cost of borrowing i was, I was talking about yesterday i got a notice from my credit card company you know it doesn't doesn't affect me that they're raising my interest rate on my credit card from 16 and a half or whatever percent i don't even know what it is but 16 and a quarter 16 and a half i never pay it because i pay the credit card off every month um but you know they're they're raising my interest rates well for people that you know depend on credit cards to shore up the slack in their household spending that cost is going up every month now too the the people they want to write the checks to are the people that are going to get hurt the most <laughs> right well, they're the ones, you know, if you take a look at, you know, who spends the majority of their money on just living needs, right? That's the bottom 50% of the economy. So any increase in inflation is a major tax on that level of the economy. Really, and you could, that, that number really runs up to the bottom 80% of the economy as most people don't have any savings anyway. So, you know, inflation is a, is a big driver and it's going to be interesting to see. And we'll come back from the break. Uh, as I said earlier, Fed Mary Daly wants to hike rates by 50 basis points coming up to the uh, May meeting. And uh, again, the question now becomes, how far can they hike rates before they cause a problem in the economy? Don't go away. daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com there's a war being waged on your retirement dollars and unless you act now you'll lose the battle with inflation higher taxes and a lower standard of living you can blunt the effects of rising prices with our next workshop on combating inflation in retirement april 2nd at the embassy suites houston richard rosso and danny ratliff will help you fortify your life savings make the most of social security and lower your taxes register now for this free workshop at realinvestmentadvice.com combating inflation in retirement with Ratliff and Rosso realinvestmentadvice.com The Real Investment Show 
And welcome back to the show this morning. Michael Leewood joining me as well, uh, talking a little bit now about the Federal Reserve. Again, you know, the, the big issue, the big conversation here, of course, is inflation. You know, we have inflation. It is a function of monetary policy, and yet we continue to kind of make the same mistakes over and over again in terms of government policy and, and the creation of inflation. And the Fed is now kind of in this box of needing to hike rates, and they want to start hiking rates more aggressively. In fact, they're going to have to hike rates at least 50 basis points at two meetings this year if they're going to make eight rate hikes by the end of this year, which is kind of what the expectation is. Now, eight rate hikes would take the Fed funds rate to 2%. Um, the question, and uh, Deutsche Bank recently has a statement out saying that they think the Fed's going to go to 3% on hiking rates now. The problem with 3% is that that is a rate higher than the 2018 peak in interest rates before we caused a problem in the markets and the economy. And every peak prior has been at a higher level than the previous peak. So in other words, every time the Fed hikes rates, it's always lower than the previous peak that we had going back to 1980. So the question really becomes is how far can the, the Fed hike rates before before they cause an issue either economically uh, in terms of recession or there's they create financial instability through a credit-related event. Mike, your thoughts? This is the age-old problem, and it's becoming increasingly a bigger problem. The Fed raises rates, interest rates. Fed raising rates is not really affecting the economy much. It's the bond market's reaction to those rate raises, right? So it's how do mortgages rise, car loans, corporate loans, all the loans that really drive economic activity. And what we're seeing now, mortgage rates are up to four and a half. People were refinancing or, or buying new houses with two handles, two and three quarters, two and a half, even a few of them mm -hmm. got two and seven eighths. Now they're four and a half. And the affordability, you know, you can afford a lot less house at four and a half percent versus three percent or two and a half percent. Corporations have to spend more money on interest expense. Most corporations don't pay down debt. They just roll debt. Mm -hmm. The U.S. Treasury just rolls debt. And this is an important fact. So they borrow money for five years. It's maturity. They owe a million dollars. That million dollars then gets they borrow new money to pay off the old money. Right. So they are now having to deal with borrowing money at you know, whatever the rate may be, if it's a corporation anywhere from two to five, six more, if you're, you know, deeply junk versus what could have been about 2% less not that long ago. So it's hitting corporations' bottom lines. At the same time, wages are going up, their input costs are going up. So what are they going to do? They're going to have to try to push it through too. So in a way, it creates some inflation. You know, it's hurting, it's hurting individuals. You're, you know, like you, Lance, you just mm -hmm. talked about your credit card. Right. Auto loans will go up a little. There's a lot of subsidies in auto loans, but auto loans will go up a little. Mortgages, student loans, you name it. It's 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 really a, a poor, poor situation for the consumer. So what does it do? It basically creates economic slowdown. And with economic slowdown, you actually bring down the rate of inflation. I know right now at 8%, it seems like it's going to keep going up forever. But the demand will slow down, even if we do get government checks, it will slow down because the consumer is getting squeezed out of the economy so many different ways. Yeah, it's called demand. The, the technical term for that is called demand destruction, right? We're destroying demand through higher rates. 
So, so what happens is as the Fed raises rates, the bond market reacts and rates go up and it squeezes the economy to the point where the economy stops growing, goes into a recession and rates come right back down. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the thing is, we have more and more debt versus income. That's true at a national level, a corporate level, and to a lesser degree at a household level. So as you go through each event, 2008, 2000, back in time, 2015 even, Mm -hmm. you have higher ratios of debt to GDP, debt to income. So your threshold for higher rates, your pain with higher rates, you can't can't afford the higher rates as much. I mean, just think about it. You know, my parents took out their first mortgage, it was like 15 or 18 Mm percent. They didn't have debt on their books. Right. They could do it. They were also getting, you know, my father was getting wage and, you know, his wages were going up by a similar amount. They were, you know, it wasn't fun, I'm sure, paying an 18 percent mortgage. But, but, it, but it was normal. We didn't really know different back then. You know, that was just right. kind of. The, but, you're, but you're right. You know, my dad didn't have any credit card debt. They paid for everything in cash. And so the mortgage debt, the mortgage and an auto loan, that was about all the debt the household had. But again, you know, we, but also people lived a lot more reasonably back then as well. Right. You know, uh, my parents had an 1,100 square foot house. Today, the median household, you know, house is, you know, $275,000 is three bedrooms with a pool in the backyard, right? I mean, you know, the, the lifestyle that we choose to lead today is above what wages will actually support. And so we do it by subsidizing it through debt. Right. Debt makes it all possible. Mm-hmm. It allows us to live to the excesses. It's it's what is making a lot of asset valuations, not just houses, stocks, mm-hmm. bonds. I and, mean, you know, you can go right down the list at these excessive values. It's because debt is new money. It's it's extra money. So when you throw that extra demand into whatever market is you want to talk about, whether it's gasoline, whether it's whether it's stocks, whether it's houses, that's the effect. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, it's not just inflation at the supermarket for bread or eggs or gasoline. It's inflation everywhere. Now, the difference is in 2008, the government wasn't writing checks. So the inflation showed up predominantly in the asset markets. Now you're having inflation everywhere, not just the asset markets, right. but in the market, you know, like yeah. I said, bread, you know, bread, milk, you go out to lunch and it's, it's crazy what it costs now. You go shopping, my wife will send me to go pick up a few things. I'm like, what, what did I just buy? (laughs) Well, you know, this is, but this is it. And you're right, you know, back in 2008, the inflation was in the housing market and, and that was driven a lot by subprime mortgages and no money down mortgages, et cetera. It was, again, it was free money in a different form, right? I didn't have to come out of pocket to buy a house so I could buy a house and it created a massive inflationary push. Now we see the same thing again, but this time a lot of this inflation in housing is being driven by corporations buying up houses to turn them into rental properties. So, you know, but again, now to your point, interest rates are going up. So um, the refinance market is dead. Nobody's going to refinance a mortgage at a higher rate. And for individuals wanting to buy a house, they're get, starting to get a price out of the home because they could afford the home at 3%, but at 4%, they can't afford the monthly payment. Same thing for auto loans. Auto prices are going up dramatically, especially on used cars. And now if auto loans go up, they can't afford the payment on these cars. So that's going to impact the the car market. So again, to your point, we have inflation now. But as is always the case, the cure for high prices are high prices because they'll eventually 
create demand destruction. And, and we'll see that probably sooner rather than later. And going back full circle, now now let's talk about this exactly where you started, Lance. Mm -hmm. What's the government doing? They are not letting this cycle play out. They are not letting high prices cure high prices. They're they're showering money on us once again. We're not in a recession. Right. We're not. Yeah, we have the lowest unemployment. You know that. You know you have to go back a long period of time. Where the economy is actually well. It, I know it's not the 15, 20 percent it was last year coming out of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. The the economic rate of growth is still at the high end of what was normal pre-pandemic. And we're already being told that they're going to shower more money on us because the price of gasoline is up because of inflation. Well, Wages are up, too. Maybe not the same amount, but they're up. This is it's horrendous. This is a vote getting scheme, just like the prior episodes were. Right. You know, I, I get the need, the desire to help, but they are creating more inflation. They are going to hurt the poor, the low middle class a lot more than the upper class. In what they're doing, but they shield themselves by saying we're, you know, we're sure. Robin Hood. Well, and, this, and, and but this is to your point the other day that you made in your article. You know, one of the other proposals is, is again, whenever there's high oil prices, it's never anybody else's fault. It's always the energy company's fault. And so, you know, they want to do a windfalls profit tax on, you know, corporate on uh, oil producers. And we've been attacking oil producers and everybody's going, well, why? Well, why won't oil companies go produce more oil? Well, you're constantly attacking them telling them that you're going to put them out of business or nationalize them because they're polluting the climate. But yet, as soon as energy prices get out of control because of what your actions were, now you want to blame them <laughs> again for doing exactly what you wanted them to do. So, you know, energy companies are in a no-win situation. And now the government wants to do more, you know, more damage to them by proposing this windfall profits tax. It's, again, it's, it's the, they don't understand what they're doing. Yeah. They, they, uh, you know what the sad part is. I think they do understand what they're doing. There's enough economists. There's enough people that do understand that. Me and you, Lance, aren't the only ones. There's a lot of people that understand what's happening, but I, they all want to be reelected. Mm -hmm. And this is both sides of the aisle. Everyone wants to be reelected, so they will basically pay for votes, and they're going to pay for votes. It's look, it's great getting a $500 check. I hope I get one, but. But the cost of that $500 check is that I'm probably going to be paying 600 bucks more for all the stuff that I buy throughout the year. <laughs> so in the long run, it'll probably cost me 100 But it is nice having that check in front of me. Well, this is, we had this conversation the other day is that they're proposing more money. And again, when we get to the next recession, you know, they'll do it again. But the very function of inflation is simply the payback of the free money we gave people to begin with. Again, we gave them all free money. And they all assumed, oh, it's free money. I don't ever have to pay this back. Well, yeah, you're paying it back now through inflation. So there's always a payback. There's never a free lunch. And this is the one thing that we have never learned is that you give something away for free. There is always going to be a penalty and a payback period for that. Mike, thanks for joining the show today. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Get registered for our upcoming event, Combating Inflation in Retirement. It's April 2nd. It's a live event. So first one we've done here in a while. I uh, would love to see you there at the it's at the Embassy Suites right here on I-10 and Kirkwood. So go by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Get registered today. Uh, seats are filling up for that. And there is limited seating because it is a live event. So make sure you have your seat. It's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow. That's